open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Um, David O'Hara would not happen to be in Greensboro this weekend, would he? Shame, shame, shame. I was going to pull for Duke, too. I'm going to change my mind. <laughs> uh, that sneeze, I like that sneeze also. Do you know why people say, bless you, when somebody sneezes? It's an old superstition. And the superstition was that when you sneezed and you opened your mouth wide, if somebody didn't say, bless you, the demons went in. (laughs) Purely superstition, all right? Purely superstition. Ah... I'm a three-sneeze person. Aren't you glad you're not? (laughs) All right, Matthew chapter 11. I've entitled this, this morning's message, Rest for the Weary, Come to Jesus. And then I, looking over my notes this morning, and I said, you know, I could uh, reverse this title and say, No Rest for Christ Rejectors. Because both sides of this are absolutely true. Chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew, it's a a turning point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You pick up with the beginning there and His ministry is totally uh, to the Jewish people. He has made a bona fide offer of Himself. To be the Messiah. How did John chapter 1 verse 10 say it? He came to his own and his own received him not. So the first actually 12 chapters are about his own who said no. The Jewish people, Israel as a nation. He was offering hope. To, the, to Israel nationally, as well as individually. So we need to comprehend that. So I'm going to spend a little time in context, but I want to land in verses 25 through 30. That's where I want to end up this morning. But to get there, we have to understand and lay some groundwork. Number one, Israel has rejected Jesus. Number two... Individuals, particularly those in Judea. Uh, Israel in the days of Christ is divided into two parts. Uh, The Jerusalem area is known as Judea. The northern area, Nazareth, where Jesus was born, was known as the Galilee. And so in the southern part of Israel, Judea, the Pharisees. The temple was there. They had pretty much made their mind no to this man. It will be they who will call for his crucifixion. Now, it wasn't much better where Jesus was born, up in the Galilee. You see here in verses 20, 21, chapter 11, 21, 23, where he says, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. 
Bethsaida is where Peter was from. Probably eight disciples came out of that little community up on the upper rim of the Sea of Galilee. They knew each other. But as a town, as a community, no to Jesus. Chorazin, which is just below Bethsaida, no to Jesus. And then down in verse 23, Capernaum. Capernaum is an interesting city, a little community within itself. I remember the time we walked up to the entrance of the gate going into Capernaum in uh, January, and it was covered with some of the most beautiful flowers. It was a vine of some kind growing around, and it was just absolutely beautiful. Well, it may have been beautiful on the outside, but inside the hearts of the citizens of Capernaum, they said no, no to Jesus. Now, when we look at verse Verse 1 of the chapter, you find that what Jesus had been doing. And in verse 1, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding His twelve disciples. You go back into chapter 10 and you find that what He's been telling them. He's sending them out in ministry. Two by two. They're to go out, they're not to go. If you will notice, verse 5 of chapter uh, 10, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Catch that phrase. Don't go to the Gentiles. Because that helps us understand the context of what he's going to say in verses 28 and 29 in particular. Don't go to the Gentiles at this time. That's you and me. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans. Don't go to the Samaritans. Samaritans were a half-breed people uh, going back into the captivity uh, under uh, Babylon, I believe it is. And they had been mixed with the pagans, the Jewish people and the pagans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. But notice, go to the lost Sheep of the house of Israel. Your ministry, 12, you 12 men, your ministry is to Israel. Then in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, After he instructed his disciples, he departed from there to teach and to preach in their city. So Jesus was going into a personal, private ministry himself. Not to the Gentiles, not to the Samaritans, but to whom? To Israel, to the Jews. You need to understand this to catch what he's going to tell us. Now, John the Baptist, who had introduced Jesus into the ministry, comes into chapter 11. And and I, I, I thought of this as I was looking at this. You know, even the strongest of us have doubts sometimes. John the Baptist, who was prophesied to be the introducer of Christ, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. John is in prison. And verse 2, he asks, Are you the coming one? 
Jesus, are you sure you're the man? Are you the Messiah? He's been in prison. He's going to get his head chopped off. Or do we look for somebody else? Doubts. The strongest of us many times have doubts. And Jesus went on in chapter 11 and said, There's never been a greater than this man in the kingdom of heaven. And he told those two who came from John, Go back, verse 7. You go back, they departed, and you tell, you tell John, I am the man. I am the Messiah. I'm the one whom you introduce. So that evidently, no doubt, settled John's mind. That's not the situation that I want you to notice, though. I want you to notice that under the preaching of John the Baptist, they rejected John the Baptist. They rejected Jesus. We don't want anything to do with this man. And then Jesus begins now to to rebuke these rejectors. Look at verse 10 and uh, beginning there. For this is he, speaking of John, of whom it is written, I send my messenger before your face. His job is to prepare your way, prepare Jesus' way before you. And then he says there's never been a greater. But verse 12 tells us something about what John, John's preaching and his introduction of Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Now notice, if you are willing to receive it, what John is preached, he is Elijah. He is a person like unto Elijah, not the Old Testament person himself, but he's likened to Elijah. You rejected John just like Elijah was rejected. So we we begin to move into this concept of rejection. The entire generation had rejected Jesus, beginning with verse 16. But to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace, calling for their companions and saying, we played, just like little children out in the playground. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you didn't cry. You didn't lament. I brought my football, but you don't want to play football or If I can't play, if I can't be the quarterback, I'm going to take my football and go home. Jesus is likening adult Israel like children. They have rejected Him. The cities of His greatest ministry had rejected Him. And that's verses 20 through 24. That's where He he says to them, Woe to you, Chorazin! Look Look at my map. It's... Sea of Galilee, this is it. 
My map has Bethsaida right up here. Come down a little bit. You got Chorazin. Come on down a little bit more, and you got Capernaum. Jesus was known as the rabbi of Capernaum. That's where the seat of his ministry took place, where he did most of his work, most of his lessons were given. At Capernaum, he would enter into the synagogue and open the scriptures and begin to speak. Capernaum had heard him personally and had rejected him. Thus he says to these three communities, for the first two, it will be better in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon, two Old Testament cities, which were totally destroyed as Ezekiel had prophesied. Then he said, Capernaum, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for you who have heard me personally. And you said, no, no to me. This sets us for what we, we want to understand. For when you get to Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 13, you see a total turn in Jesus' ministry. Just by way of introduction before I get to my verses I want to sort of land on. Verse 1 says, on the same day, now watch this, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. He begins the third of his five discourses in the Gospel of Matthew, the parables of Matthew chapter 13. Now many have said this, some have, this first Sentence, he went out of the house indicating that, Israel, I'm leaving you. Nation, my people to whom I came, and you received me not, I'm out of your house. And he went by the sea. Sea in the scriptures symbolizes the Gentile world. Now remember in chapter 10, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's where you are going to preach. But from now on in chapter 13, something has changed drastically. He gives them first of all the parable of the seed and the sower, the soil. And he speaks to them not in plain language any longer. He speaks to them in parables. Someone's described a parable as, a, as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Parables were more than that. For you see in verses 10 and 11, even his disciples in verse 10 said, uh, Why do you speak to us in parables? Something different about it. Why are you using parables? You've been, you've been doing plain talk. But now you are using stories. Why are you speaking to us in parables? In verse 11, he answers that question. He said to them, because it has been given to you, my disciples, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But, catch this, but to them, it's not given. 
I am withholding national revival. National awakening to the state of Israel. So we see a major, major change and a shift in his ministry. The masses rejected. The disciples believed. It's given to you to know the reality of what, who I am and what I have come to offer. It's for your benefit. To those who've rejected me, Judea, the Galilee, I'll speak in parables from now on, but I will explain if we get on into chapter 13. He says, I'll explain the parables to you, but I will not to them. Jesus' message changed drastically. Did that mean that uh, he no longer loved Israel? Oh, absolutely not. For in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said this. This is right before he's crucified. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, Israel, you stoned the prophets. They were sent to you. And he says this to show his heart. How often I would have gathered you, I would have gathered your children together. Israel as a nation, how often I would have gathered your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. I offered. You said no. You are unwilling. Now, these next words... Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And Israel has been desolate ever since. 70 A.D., the city was destroyed. The temple was taken down one stone at a time. Totally destroyed. He's not saying that I don't love Israel. He is saying, I love Israel. I love Israel. But you don't love me. I came to you as my own birth people. Our Savior is a Jew. I came to you. And you wouldn't receive me. Now catch verse 11 of John chapter 10. But, as many as received Him, individuals, as received Him, to them He gave the power or the authority to become the children of God. So what I I want you to see before I get into verses 25 and following here in chapter 11, I want you to see that Jesus is no longer With these verses that I'm fixing to read, I'm getting ready to read. Jesus is no longer offering himself to Israel as a nation. Now, he will again, all right, in the second coming, he will become king of Israel. But today, no. Not, 
a bona fide, not an offer any longer. So you got the picture? As a nation, they've rejected Christ. And now he has rejected them. Now let's get into our text. 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. All of you individuals now, not a nation, individuals in Israel, in that historical contextual setting, speaking to individuals, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As a nation, Israel, you're not coming. But as individual Jews who hear his voice, come, take, learn. The rest for a weary soul is now being offered. And I want you to note several things about this. You got the context? You understand? Israel as a nation, nationally, no. Individuals who are burdened, laden, down with worry and cares. If you'll hear my voice, he says... Three things quickly. Rest is based upon His sovereign authority. Number two, rest is assured in His salvational appeal to individuals. Number three, rest is specifically applied according to what He promises. That's what we get out of these verses. Rest is based upon His sovereign authority. Jesus said all of this authority has been bestowed to me by the Father. Verse 27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. He gives us the Father's credentials. Verse 25. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. Lord. Lord. That's the Father's credentials. God is the owner of everything. Heaven and earth. And he says in this, the hidden things, that is rest, you have hidden these from the wise and the prudent. He says, but you've revealed them to babes. Who are the wise and the prudent? In, in, in this text, it's those who had just rejected him. Those who were filled with pride. Those whom he described in the Gospels as those who, who love to go down on the street corners and pray long prayers to be seen of men. 
the Father has hidden things from these who are rejectors. But who are the babes? You've revealed these to babes. That's the, that's the simple person who humbly submits to God, who humbly comes needing rest. You see, attitude, frame of mind, has everything to do with what you will receive or what you will not receive. And the same thing is true today. Proud people won't come to Christ. They don't need Christ. Those who are like little children will come to Him. And, and, and you watch this here in verse 27, the intimacy that existed between the Father and the Son. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father. Nobody knows my heavenly Father except me, the Son, and then those to whom the Son will reveal Him. Rest is based upon His sovereign authority. He has the authority to reveal. He has the authority to save. As many as received Him... He gives the authority to become the sons of God. Rest is based upon His authority. Notice, secondly, that rest is assured in His salvational appeal. Jesus' appeal can be summed up with three expressions. Number one, come to me. Come. Number two, take my yoke upon you. Number three, learn. Learn from me. You've been, as, as people of Israel, you've been learning from the Pharisees. Now, you who are worn out by these Pharisees, come to me, take my yoke on you, and learn of me. Just quickly. You know, I thought when I first approached this, this was three commands, but it's not. There's only two commands there. The first is a description. It's an adverb, actually. Come is an adverb which it, it qualifies the meaning of the verb, indicating a time and a place and a manner. Jesus is saying, you who are worn out spiritually, mentally, ready to get rid of your own ways and come to the one who can help you, come to me. Come to me. Come toward me is actually what it's saying. Come toward me. That's just the first step. That doesn't, that has not yet completed what the person needs, what the individual needs. The second is a command. It's an imperative. Take my yoke upon you. And we all know what a yoke is. I, I hope we do. You, in the Philippines, they use the caribou. As they call it, it's the carabao. Slowest, slowest moving animal you've ever seen. Never gets in a hurry, like Holton Harrison. <laughs> but always just plodding and moving. And that yoke is what? When you got two of them working, that yoke is two side by side, and that yoke goes over each neck. It ties the two of them together. Now watch what Jesus said. 
I'm on this side the yoke. I command you, come and take the other side of the yoke. Take my yoke upon you. You see the individual, not a nation, but the individual who's worn out spiritually, addictions, or whatever it might be. I can handle this. We can pull this together. Take my yoke upon you. And then he says, thirdly, learn from me. That's a command. You see, to come is the first step. That's salvation. To take and to align yourself with Jesus, that is moving toward maturity. That's growing. That's letting Him have your load, that that you can't handle. And then, as we say, he says to learn, learn from me. That's the continuous relationship, the act of that which is companionship. That's a description of the continual life of the believer. What did he say in Matthew chapter 28? Make disciples, win people to Christ, and teach what? Teach them to observe. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. So three strong words were in his appeal. And those to whom the appeal is made, who are they? All you, verse 28, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Labor means being worn out. Tired of the old, the same old, same old. Tired of being beaten down by my emotions, emotionally drained all the time. Heavy laden. Wonder where the next answer is coming from. And you know, so many people today are just exactly like that. They turn to a bottle. They turn to a drug, they go to the doctor, they get a pill, and that's no reflection on Holly. It's a way of life. He says, come, take, learn. Victory! You see it? It's just that simple. Just that simple. Fatigue. What a picture that describes for me for America. You see, you who are worn out and about to lose it, there's no obstacle that He can't pull you through. There's no burden that He can't carry. You are yoked to Him. You're in a relationship with Him. That's why I suppose Philippians 4.13 just jumps off the page. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's pulling the load. You and I are just walking beside Him. And all of these cares are, are taken care of. Now quickly, rest is specifically applied according to His promise. Look at the promises that he's given here. 
He says in verse 28, I will give you rest. If you come, I will give you rest. And then he says in verse, uh, learn from me, meek and low, you will find rest, verse 29. I'll give you rest, you'll find rest for your souls. Note first of all though, that rest begins at salvation. If you're not saved, you don't have anything. You're going to continue right on just as miserable and beaten down as you are right now. That's just the beginning. Now, it moves beyond that. First, you've got to be reconciled to God. Then this learning is a faith venture. It's a faith rest. It's a growing rest. It's a maturing rest. And in this, old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. Just like the song that Ronald just sang. The glory of of a song in the heart. Of knowing Christ. Every day is a new adventure. Because you now have a partner. You're yoked with Christ. Now, it's no, of no value if the one saying it can't deliver it. You agree with that? It's no good if he can't deliver. But, beloved, he can. And he does. Look here with me. He says in verse 29, I am gentle. And lowly in heart, and you will find rest. Now, if I told you that, I said, well, you know, I'm gentle. I'm one of the most meekest men on the face of the earth. You'd laugh at me, and rightfully so. Correct? But who's saying this? The one who has the right, the only right to say this. And it's not bragging. Listen to me. He left heaven's glory. Came to his own people and his own people said, No, we want nothing of you. Therefore, he says, I will turn to individuals. Whomever is burdened down, I will turn to you. Come. Take. Learn. I'm so glad it's like that. You know, we could tie this into Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. The past of Israel is rejection of Christ. The present of Israel is living without Christ. The future of Israel, they will be dealt with again. But today, now I'm not saying Jews aren't being saved because they are. But as a nation... Of all people, of all nations, pitiful, very pitiful. Jesus' yoke and his burden is light. Now, what will you find? To whom am I speaking today? You know, I say, well, I could be speaking to this congregation. No, I'm not speaking to this congregation. I'm speaking to each person individually. 
in the congregation. Jesus was speaking to a crowd, but his appeal was to the one in the crowd who needed him, who was burdened down. So he invites you to come. He invites you to come to himself. He says, come and you'll find rest. Stay where you are and your burdens are only going to increase and grow. Simple offer. So simple. So to who am I speaking as an individual today? Are you ready now? As we say, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you at that point in life that you're saying, I'll come. I'll come to Jesus. It may be for salvation. That might be the situation that's needed. If that's so, come. It may be because you are a believer and your life is now one of pure misery. And you're yoked by yourself. Jesus is not over on this side with you. He's saying to you, Christian, He's saying, come. Get back in harness. Get back in harness. And you'll find rest to your soul. Let's pray.